I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 will be our scripture reading this morning. If you have your pew Bible in hand, you could find it on page 1,673. Pastor Taylor and myself have been going through the Psalms this summer, and it's been wonderful to do that, and Lord willing, we'll pick back up next week. Uh, but in light of a deacon installation, which is a very special opportunity, uh, we want to think about the topic of service this morning uh, from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Again, our scripture reading. Again, Gospel of John is found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 13, verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. It was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place, to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, may he bless it to our hearts. Well, beloved, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone else? Those were the ancient words of the famous philosopher Plato. How can someone be happy when they have to serve somebody else? And those are words that might resonate with us here this morning. Sometimes serving other people could feel like a chore. And in our hearts, we're tempted to think that being served by other people is the key to happiness, right? Make some money, get some status, have some children and a family, uh, get lots of people to serve you. That's the good life, right? But the, the truth is, every single person on this earth, whether we're Christians or not, we all have to serve somebody. The great theologian Bob Dylan put it like this, you're going to have to serve somebody, you're going to have to serve somebody, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
And this topic of service is what we want to think about this morning. But notice, as we read this scripture this morning, the key servant is not a disciple. It's not a man, it's not a woman, it's not a child, it's not a slave. But the key servant in view is God himself. God himself is on display in our text showing divine service to his people. And this morning, we want to think about why that is so important for us and what this means as well for our service to one another. Uh, There's three movements in this text I want to think about with you, but before we uh, dig into those movements, just consider again verse 1 very briefly, the context. Here we're told, notice beloved, uh, this was when Jesus knew that his time had come. Other translations, he knew when his hour had come. John 13 marks a significant turning point in the Gospel of John. Chapters 1 through 12, you see Jesus showing various signs to the world that display who he is as the Messiah. But in chapter 13, to the end of the Gospel of John, you see Jesus revealing himself intimately and personally to his disciples, who were his friends. And we're told here that the hour of Jesus had come. What is this hour? In John 2, we're told when wine ran out at a wedding, Mary told Jesus about the problem, and he said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, This hour in the Gospel of John throughout refers to the time of Jesus' suffering at the cross and the time of Jesus' departure out of this world. Here, as Jesus sees, as it were, the dark storm clouds of his judgment coming near, he reclines at a table and he shares meal with his disciples. What would you do if you had just a few more hours to live? Well, here's what Jesus did, verses two and three. And the first thing that we see here, the first movement is we see God's unexpected power. Look at verse two and three. The evening meal was being served The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and is returning to God. Now pause right there. Don't keep reading. Pretend you don't know the story. Uh, What would you expect the next verse to read? Here is Jesus and he has awareness of his power, right? He's come from God. He's going back to God. Notice, all things are put under his power, his feet. And here, he's recognizing that he is about to accomplish all of God's plans for him. He's about to go and crush the head of that serpent, right? He's going to fulfill all of the ancient promises of the Old Testament given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What else does he see? Satan's schemes unfolding right before his eyes. He sees a threat. Judas, about to betray him. So what would you expect king jesus to do with his power well you might expect jesus right to dive across that table and go take out judas right that's how power looks in our world you see a threat you use your power and you neutralize it but what do we read beloved verse four and so he got up from the meal he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. We don't see Jesus assert his authority as Lord, but instead he leaves the head of the table where he rightfully belongs. 
he takes on the form of a servant and he stoops down on his knees to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. Notice this, even the feet of his enemy Judas, who was about to betray him. Here, the all-powerful God who made heaven and earth and who continues to sustain this world right now simply by his word, this God in Jesus is on his knees washing feet. God's power is on display in an unexpected way. Why is this so shocking? Well, the washing of feet before a meal was an ordinary part of life in Jesus' day. Right? People didn't wear Nikes back then. They wore sandals. And they would walk around all day on dusty roads. And so if you went into someone's house to share a meal, often they would give you some water and you would wash your feet before you sat down for a meal. Uh, Some families would have slaves to wash the feet for you, uh, but they couldn't be a Jewish slave. They couldn't be a male slave. They had to be a Gentile slave because the task of washing feet was so humble. Moreover, superiors like Jesus did not do acts of service for inferiors, especially not foot washing. One commentator says there is no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior washing the feet of an inferior, right? It was the disciples who would do acts of service for their rabbi, but not even they would be expected to wash the rabbi's feet. And so this act of Jesus is utterly radical It's unheard of. No one's ever done something like this. You know, regardless of your view of our president, it would be a great honor to be invited to the White House to have a meal, right? And imagine going to the White House for dinner and imagine sitting around the table and seeing the president of the United States come into that setting wearing an apron, with a towel in his hand and some water in the other, and imagine him coming to you at your seat and taking off your shoes and taking off your socks and washing your feet, you would feel pretty awkward. You'd probably be tempted to, you know, push him away a little bit. You just don't do that kind of thing. It's weird. It goes against the social norms. But here is Jesus, God in human flesh, a man far superior to any political ruler or powerful person on this earth. And the power and the love of God is on display in this humble and unexpected act of grace. Beloved, the first thing we need to take away from this text is that we worship a God today who uses his power to serve his people. And that should shock us because it's the opposite of what you see in every other world religion on this earth right when i was in seminary one of our classes went to a hindu temple and there at the hindu temple we saw devout men and women and children ordinary people just like you and me going to the various gods that were visibly displayed in that temple and they were bringing food offerings to each one of the gods and the thought behind it is that these offerings keep the various gods in your favor. And if you go down every world religion, they all have that same essential formula of your service leading to some kind of salvation or enlightenment or higher consciousness. Only in Christianity do you meet a God who serves his people. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he was on Mars Hill and he was looking out from that hill uh, on all the various idols of the day. And he said this in Acts 17, 24. 
He said that God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Beloved, if you want to serve God well in your life, you need to first be served by God. Why is that? Because if we don't first understand how God has served us in the gospel, we will inevitably fall into thinking that our service to God attains or retains his favor. Right? We're naturally hardwired in our hearts to think that our devotion to God, maybe even our coming to church this morning, puts God in debt to us. God, you owe me blessing now because I have served you. We could be like that older son in the prodigal son story who thinks that God owes us. But God does not owe us anything because of our service. Rather, the scriptures testify that we are debtors to his grace. Yet, God is the one who provides for us washing, provides for us cleansing. And that's the second thing that we see. First, brothers and sisters, we see God's unexpected power and in the same act, we see God's undeserved grace, verses 6 through 7. Notice he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Uh, our salvation here is symbolized in this washing, as we'll see in just a moment. And Peter asked this question, not with a sense of gratitude, but actually with a sense of indignation. It's very clear in the Greek, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, you better not do this, Jesus. This is crazy. Masters, don't do this kind of thing. This is for Gentile servant girls. It's not for the Messiah to wash feet. You can imagine Peter, right, giving Jesus the stiff arm a little bit. No, 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 do not do this. Peter's eyes are focused on what is socially fitting. He wants a Messiah in the form that he thinks is best. One who is powerful, one who's glorious, one who stands out. No doubt this act of Jesus caught him off guard again because this kind of act wasn't heard of. Jesus often went against the cultural norms, right? Blessing little children, welcoming the poor to himself, spending time with the outcast. So notice what he says in verse 7. What I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will understand later. Gracious words of Jesus. Peter goes even further, notice, than an indignant question, and he boldly says to Jesus, you will never wash my feet, verse 8. Literally in the Greek, never unto eternity. Children, not in a million bajillion years, Peter is saying, can you wash my feet? Peter rejects the service of Jesus. He rejects the Messiah in this humble form. One commentator put it like this, Peter's stance reflects the basic way that men think, the refusal to see the act of salvation in what is lowly, or God in the form of a slave. This is the heart of sinners. This is the heart of pride that says, God, I don't need your washing. I could wash myself, or I'm not even very dirty. But Jesus, notice, he graciously and he soberly says to those who are proud of heart what he said to Peter in verse 8. Notice, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Not only was he saying, Peter, if I don't wash you, you can't have this meal with me right here. 
But ultimately, Peter, you cannot share communion with me in eternity if you remain unwashed. You see, because this act of washing is not just for some meal here on earth, but it's symbolic for communion with Jesus, table fellowship with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus for all of eternity. And so Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no communion with me. To be washed is necessary if you want to have fellowship with Jesus. And again, this is a picture of the gospel of grace, as we'll see and the cleansing that we need to sit down with Christ as friends. And notice, after Jesus spoke of the necessity of being washed, Peter saw, almost like a sacrament, he saw something greater through the sign of foot washing. He understood in some imperfect way that this washing was necessary for communion with Jesus. And so what does he say? (laughs) Jesus, not only my feet, but also my hands in my head. In other words, Jesus, give me a full bath. Make sure I'm cleansed from head to toe because I need your cleansing. Uh, This is the heart of someone now who knows that they are dirty and who needs the cleansing of Christ. Again, brothers and sisters here today, this act of foot washing is a picture of the gospel of Christ. You might call it even, as one commentator said, a living parable that tells us the story of salvation and what God did for us. You see, for us, Jesus willingly laid aside his garments of glory when he came down from heaven, and he came to this earth, and throughout his life, he took on the role of a servant. The Gospel of Mark says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus took on the form of a slave throughout his life, and he became obedient in his life, even to the point of death on a cross, You see, Jesus' ultimate act of humiliation was not here when he was on his knees washing dirty feet like a slave, but his ultimate humiliation was at the cross where he was stripped of all of his garments and when he was crucified like a criminal for our sins. There at the cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus was shed to be the means by which God would cleanse us from all of our sinful stains. And here's the good news. It's by believing in the cross, that humble act of salvation, that today we receive the very power of God unto salvation. As we sang last week, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. No matter how dirty you feel today, no matter how many stains are upon your life, God's promise, again, is this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Apart from Jesus, you may have been many things. An adulterer, a gossip, a fornicator, a person filled with pride and lust and covetousness. There might have been many sins that dominated your life. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And after washing away our sins at the cross, 
Jesus took up his garments of glory once again when he was raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand. And he says to the church today the words that he said to his disciples at that table when he took his place again. Verse 12. Do you know what I have done for you? See that, dear beloved? Jesus is saying today, do you see how I've washed you? Do you see how I've loved you? Every Lord's Day, God gathers us in his presence to wash us, to remind us of how low he stooped to love dirty people like me and like you. The Lord delights this morning in our prayers and our praise as we give them to God through Jesus, but God doesn't need our service this morning in the way that we need his. We come to this place with Peter saying, Lord, give me a full bath. Wash me again, Lord, after this week. Cleanse me from head to toe. Let me know your grace again. And you see, when our hearts grasp more deeply this gospel of grace, then we are empowered to serve the Lord with thankfulness. And that's the last thing that we see as we conclude. Notice the last thing that we see in Jesus' words, verse 13. It's our response of service. Verse 13, Jesus says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You know, when it comes to positions of authority in the world today, people often use their status to get people to do what they want, even abusing their positions. In Jesus' day, people valued like what we value, virtues like courage, military honor, influence, but Jesus says, this kind of authority does not exist in my kingdom. He shows us a humbler path. What does this kind of service look like for us? I remember when I first preached this text in Canada, I remember telling my wife about this text and how it was comforting, uh, but also convicting because you see how there's no task that's too low for the Christian. And she says, you know, I'm very glad that you came to that conviction because I would love it if you vacuumed the stairs. And, you know, in my heart, I was thinking, like, I'm not thinking that kind of application. Uh, but this text, you see, it reminds us, right? There's no task that's too low for the Christian. In the home or at church or in the community, there's no task too low for followers of Jesus. Especially in those areas of authority that God has set up, we are to think of those categories in terms of sacrificial service. If you're in a position of authority, you are to imitate Jesus by using your power and your gifts to serve other people, right? Husbands and fathers who are called to be leaders in their home are to be foot washers, servants to their family, right? We don't come home, even though we're tempted to, you know, ready to come home with everybody to serve us, right? Wait on us. No, God calls us to go and lay down our lives. Ephesians 5, husbands, wash your wives with the water of the word. Lay down your life like Jesus did for those in your care. Again, leaders in the Christian church are to see themselves as just foot washers. Our brothers this morning were ordained to the office of deacon as foot washers. Get your feet ready. They're here to serve you. They're here to lay down their life for the flock and for this community to show something of the mercy 
and compassion and love of Jesus. To care for the poor, to care for the needy, to care for the handicapped, to look after people who feel forgotten that no one ever sees. God has said, I'm gifting to my church servants, especially who will care for these people and stir up the flock of Jesus to show something of the mercy of Christ. That's how much Jesus loves his church. But as Christians, all of us here today, whether we're in official office or not, are called by God to serve one another in the pattern of Jesus. And together we remember there is no task too low for the Christian. Peter finally understood this. And when he wrote a letter to a church, he said in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, clothe yourselves in humility. And again, he said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If we find ourselves saying, I can't do that kind of task, do you know what kind of person I am? We show that we really don't understand the gospel because Jesus said a servant is not greater than his master. And if he used his power to serve, we are to do the same. Beloved, Jesus says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We all have to serve somebody, but to serve the King of Kings who ultimately served us in Christ is a joyful task because his commandments are not burdensome, because they come to us from the hands of Jesus that were pierced to cleanse us from all of our sins. And so may God empower us to serve one another and our neighbor with hearts that are filled with the joy of his gospel. Amen. Let's pray and let's ask God's help in these things. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that indeed you would help us to behold this morning that wondrous cross of Jesus, where the Lord became a servant and gave his life a ransom for many. Father, break our hearts. They're often so proud, so self-focused. Lord, so focused on our needs. Lord, help us to see the beauty of the gospel of grace today and to have hearts that are willing and ready to serve others with the same heart of the Savior. Lord, this is only by your spirit that we can do this because in our own flesh, Lord, there's so much sin. But we thank you that you filled us with your spirit to walk by the spirit in newness of life. So help us as we leave this place to walk in joyful service to the King of kings and Lord of lords who laid down his life for us. For we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Or our song